So glad to be with you all. I don't know about you, but I think service is best done in groups. If I um, get an invitation to serve and it feels like I'm all on my own, I just start thinking of all the things that, other things I need to do, all the things that could go wrong, all the things um, that would keep me from doing that. But there's something about serving together. And so when Jenny said we're gonna do this team effort and have uh, time in the Word in the beginning, and then actually do some service projects here in person, um, hands-on while we're here. It just makes it feel so much, so much less intimidating, so much less daunting, not another thing to put on the schedule, but something to really fellowship in, and um, I'm excited to see how that goes. You know, um, we often look around at the needs of the world. We see suffering. Um, we want to ease that suffering, bless our neighbors and our fellow citizens around the world, but we often held, feel held back by the things we lack or feel slowed down by our current responsibilities. We may not feel like we have time or energy, we're short on money or other resources, or we may not have the skills that we think we need to have to be involved in a work of God. But Jesus shows us another way, and so we're gonna spend the next four weeks looking in the Gospels at Jesus' interactions with his disciples. He challenges his followers to think beyond human limits and serve from his abundance using the things that we already have around us. So for these next four sessions, we're gonna study the disciples' life-changing and world-changing experience serving with Jesus, and we're gonna practice serving from this community right here out of the overflow of Jesus' power and love. Today we're gonna to be focusing on the scripture in Luke chapter five, verses one through 11. And I've printed that on this worksheet that you'll find on your tables. So you can mark this up if you have a pen, you can mark this up as we go. Um, and then on the other side, you'll see um, questions most of these questions are for your use after you leave here. We're not going to have time for this in, in 20 minutes today. But I want, wanted to give you something to take with you to go deeper and do more personal reflection. So um, take this with you, and I hope that you'll set aside some time, um, either today or in the coming days, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, to really dig into these things, including a worksheet on the back here that you can read the instructions for. But for now, let's look at Luke 5, 1 through 11 here. And as we read, I would love for you to really be engaging um, your imagination, not because this isn't a real story, it's a real story, but God has given us our imagination to enter back into this thing that actually happened between him and his disciples in an actual place on earth, and he's given us the opportunity to step back into the story and to picture what it was like and what he was like in, in that moment, um, what the interactions between him and his disciples were like. So if I could have, um, let's see, this side of the room as we're reading through, just kind of pay attention to the things that you might see if you were just dropped into this scene. What are the things that you might see? Um, these middle two tables, if you could pay attention to what you might hear if you were dropped into this scene, if you're a participant. And the backside tables here, if you could pay attention to the things that you might feel either with your fingers or on your skin or even bodily, like 
a racing heart or something like that. Um, as I read, just pay attention, pay attention to those things and um, afterwards, you're welcome to write some of them here or use this later. Luke, one, Luke 5, 1 through 11. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, it's also known as the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. All right, this side, let me know a couple of things that you would have seen if you were in the scene. Seen Jesus? A lot of water, yes. A crowd of people. Yeah. Really sure that's yeah. 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 See some men with beards. I think there's some sailboats and little rowboats. Oh. Sailboats and rowboats. Nets filled with fish. Nets filled with fish. Great. There's more, but we'll move on to what would you have heard? This middle section here. Hmm. So you might have heard Jesus teaching or the rumble of the crowd. Like lapping of the water. Hmm. I thought of that too. The lapping of the water on the lake shore. All the other people working and whatever they had to talk about while they were doing that. Mm -hmm. fish. Workers, chatter, conversation. What would you have felt? With your fingers, with your skin, bodily. Hmm, rough wood of the boat. I said rough hands from washing the nets. Oh, yeah, rough hands. Overworked hands. Fear. Maybe fear. How would you have felt that? Well, was this going to actually happen or not? Was what Jesus asked them to do going to be fruitful? Hmm, yeah. Yeah, excitement, maybe almost jittery with everything that's going on. 
Well, wonderful. I think this is a helpful way to enter into scripture. Uh, often we get too brainy with our study of scripture, where really it's a way to fellowship with Jesus as we read back, especially through the gospels, as we see him interacting with the disciples. So using our imaginations to enter back in can give us a deeper experience of what Jesus is doing here. Well, how much could he, how, with the full net, how long would that keep him afloat? How much money would he get from it? Oh, right. Yeah. So Peter, no Simon Peter may have been seeing um, what we would call dollar signs yeah. <laughs> when he saw the, the fish in the nets. Yeah. So let's go back to verse one. And what I notice in verse one is that the crowd was pressing in on him. And I noticed this in another miracle that I read the other day for a devotional I was working on for the hemorrhaging woman. And uh, it said also the crowd was pressing in on him. This is a common occurrence for Jesus as he goes through his earthly ministry, that the crowd is pressing in on him. Um, you know, I think about here in, in our country, we're generally pretty good at lines, but if you've, if you've worked or lived overseas or visited overseas, you'll know some other places are not so great at lines. And so I think of, um, I stayed a summer in Cairo and I remember going into the subway on a weekend and I, hardly had to move my feet. The crowd was so thick, it was, we were all just kind of carried into the subway with each other, you know, it's um, no lines. And I think, uh, uh, I know we have another friend here who's uh, spent significant time in China and I uh, lived on a campus there years ago and I remember going to a home store to buy some stuff for my dorm room and there was no such thing as a line there. I went at the beginning of the day, they were getting ready to open, and as soon as the doors opened, it was all elbows, just whatever you could do to get to the front of the line. Um, and so I picture those kinds of things when I see um, this, the crowd pressing in on Jesus, that it's every person for themselves to get as close as they can to Jesus so that they can hear from him and be with him. His works were becoming well-known in the region even before this scene and um, people had heard him teaching in the synagogues or had heard of him teaching in the synagogues. They had heard about the miracle, miracles he had done of physical healing. And so people were curious about this person. Um, but when I think about, about this crowd, I think each person there represents a want or a need. And all of them had a motivation for wanting to get close to Jesus. And I think about us with the needs pressing in on us. And so I'm sure that it won't take long for you to think about what are those needs pressing in on you today. Um, I tend to get overstimulated by um, chaotic things happening, chatter, um, and the overwhelming number of needs, even just in my own home on a daily basis. Let, a no, let alone the needs of the world, you know, as I look at the reports on Ukraine or local crime or the landlords across the street um, neglecting their tenants and um, even these huge shifts in culture that are affecting the church, you know, some uh, toxic leaders within certain churches or cultural trends outside churches are really changing the dynamic of, of church these days. That weighs on me too. Pandemic grief and recovery, these are all things that we're dealing with and just so much going on in the world. So as we think about this crowd pressing in, I think there's a lot that we can relate with, both in being part of the crowd or being the one that things are pressing in on. And so as we go through, just consider what are those things that are pressing in on you today? 
One thing I notice is Jesus' patience and willingness to serve these people. And we'll see that as we go into verse two and three. Um, it's not gonna be conducive to communicating a message if you're being pressed in on and only the people around you can hear and the, rest, the message is muffled for the rest of the crowd. So Jesus looks around and sees what's in the environment. And we see that there are two boats on the shore of the lake. And we see that Jesus gets into one of the boats. And I love this because Jesus gets into Simon's business, his actual business, his literal business, otherwise known as his boat. And so Jesus sees the boat as a resource to help people hear the message that they've come to hear. And so then he gives Simon instructions on what to do with a boat to make this happen. So then Jesus gives his, uh, his talk, uh, his message, the word of God to the people who've come to hear. And then after that, he turns to Simon with a more personal teaching and um, personal experience that is going to end up becoming public in a few minutes. But Jesus instructs him to pull the boat away from shore and go into deeper water. And I think this is foreshadowing what happens at the end of this passage, where Jesus is going to invite this whole group of friends, this whole group of fishermen into deeper water spiritually to use their experience and their life skills and turn that toward a, a big movement of God. So as we go on to verse five, we see that Simon replies that they've caught nothing at all um, the entire night. And so Simon knows clearly that Jesus, there's something special about Jesus. He's capable of speaking with gentle authority. He's capable of doing astonishing things. If you read, uh, I think one or two chapters, one chapter earlier, I think um, Simon's own mother-in-law had been healed by Jesus. So people are starting to get to know his capabilities and who he is and, and are curious about him. But I don't think that Simon expects the miracle that's about to happen. Um, he hasn't been primed to that level yet. So Simon's words here, we've caught nothing at all the whole night long. Um, they show us, they serve to show us the emptiness before the miracle. Simon still follows Jesus' instructions. He knows this is a, a man to be respected. And so out of respect, he follows Jesus' instructions. And then in verses six and seven, we see what happens when a, a he's not a disciple or a follower yet, but we, what happens when someone listens to Jesus, follows through, we see that there's abundance. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. So Jesus creates abundance where there was emptiness. He invited Simon to do this small everyday task. And even though it was a small everyday task, the results with Jesus involved are awe-inspiring. And all who are participating or witnessing are drawn into that awe. And then we see that this abundance of blessing uh, requires an abundance of workers and vessels, these boats, to handle and distribute the blessing that Jesus has brought. So sometimes the work of God can actually th make things feel like there's more problems to solve, but they, these are good problems. Um, and then we see a chain reaction begins that 
that Simon looks at the situation here and knows that this is not a task for just one person or one small group of guys on this one boat. And so he invites his fellow fishermen from the other boat and around to get involved. And I love how a work of God tends to create community, drawing people together to co-labor where God is working. Ministry is not meant to be completed alone, and we see even Jesus moving from his solo ministry at the beginning here to getting ready to call people to come and serve with him. So I want you to be thinking about who are your partners or potential partners in ministry, who is around you that you would call to come and see what God is doing or call to come and help with something that God is doing when you see that God is at work and the work is not sized for just one person. In verses 8 to 10, we see after Simon and his friends work on this big load of fish, he is personally affected. And we see that, when, that he fell down at Jesus' feet in this utter humility. Um, you know, he has realized that what Jesus has done was beyond his physical capabilities, so he needed his friends to come around. But he also responds to this abundance with, with this deep spiritual humility. He feels unworthy in Jesus' presence. And I want you to notice how he says, go away from me, Lord. Go away from me. And then we see Jesus' response. So while witnessing a um, powerful work of God may bring a feeling of unworthiness or awareness of our human weakness, we see here that Jesus offers kindness and mercy. He settles Simon and says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will uh, be catching people. So awe and connection with God can go together. And Jesus casts a vision for how Simon's past experience is going to be leveled up for a spiritual purpose in these next few years of ministry. And so Jesus not only offers mercy to Simon, he offers an assignment. And I love how, as Simon said, go away from me, Lord, Jesus said, come with me. Just thought that was um, beautiful. And when we see that Jesus invites him to go fishing for people, that tells me that Jesus values and respects what people are already doing and who people already are and the things that are already there. And he uses what these disciples are already spending time on and what they're already good at to bridge them to a life of ministry. Fishermen become fishers of people. And these skills are actually going to come to good practical use too as they travel around bringing the message of God over the region that sea, those seafaring skills are going to be needed, and they're probably going to need to eat a few times too. So the, the fishing skills would come in handy. And then we see in verse 11, when they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. So their experience of Jesus on this otherwise ordinary day changed them in such a dramatic way that they were willing to leave everything behind to go serve with him. And I want us to notice that the disciples' call was to serve with Jesus, not to go serve somewhere for Jesus. And this is important even in our life today. When we serve with Jesus as our guide, we don't need to rely on our own energy or our limited resources. When we offer our skills, our, our whole selves, our resources, 
um, he can change those and show us his overflowing power. So as I look at this passage, it helps me understand that I don't need to be overwhelmed by the needs around me. You know, my kids poking me on the shoulder or, you know, a new problem to solve every few minutes or all the really hard things in the world right now. Jesus has a word for the crowd and he has a word for us. And when I feel overwhelmed by all the things pressing in, I can listen in prayer for his instructions look at the tangible resources around me and take action, even when I have no idea what he's going to do with those things. Um, I can trust that he's present and will be, bring plenty where I see lack. I bring the boat and he brings instructions. I bring the empty net and he brings abundance. I wanna just quickly share one little thing that was so encouraging to me recently in a just a really sad time. Um, I'm not going to share details of it, but there was a situation earlier this year when a newer family in our church and school community, community was facing an unthinkable loss. And as I was feeling the weight of that news um, after weeks of praying for them, I didn't know what else to do but let myself weep about it, um, text my deep sympathy, and go back to the take them a meal link that um, someone in this room set up. And I went back to volunteer for another dinner. And when I looked at the sign-up page, I was brought to tears. Uh, you know, next to all these meals like spaghetti, Korean beef, sweet potato, roasted sweet potatoes, all these things, I saw all these names that I recognized. And um, it was just this really powerful picture of what happens on a larger scale, how God brings all these people together to meet a need that really can't be met by one person. Um, and to really show Jesus loving uh, presence in a difficult situation. I had never seen that list of names all in one place, and many of the people who were on that list were from our church but didn't know the family yet. And I, it was just so beautiful to see the way that the church stepped up. And then I saw people from a prayer group in our community and then another church that... Um, that knew the family and it was just beautiful even to see that larger local body of people coming around this family and you know none of us could erase what happened to them but with our little bit of resources just cooking a meal our time and compassion brought together uh, their comfort increased and our friend said she was just blown away by how well supported and taken care of they were in a community that they had just moved to um, in the last couple of years. And that's just this picture to me of the abundance that Jesus brings even in difficult situations, difficult circumstances. So I hope that this time has given you some things to think on and I hope as your own needs and your own little world and the larger world as those things are pressing in around you, that you'll, number one, be reminded that Jesus brings abundance where there is lack. And number two, that you'll think about serving with Jesus instead of just for Jesus and letting his power work through you. And number three, consider how Jesus wants to get in your business and engage your skills, your connections, your resources, passions, and experience in a new way to serve with him. Let's let him take us out to deeper waters. Can you repeat all those things? All the what? <laughs> all those yes. Yeah. So number one is to be reminded that Jesus brings abundance 
where there is lack. Jesus brings abundance where there is lack. Number two, we serve with Jesus, not just for Jesus. We serve with Jesus, not just for Jesus. And number three, Jesus wants to get in your business and engage your skills, resources, and experiences to serve in a new way with him. Jesus wants to get in your business and engage your skills, resources, and experience to serve in a new way with him. So real quick before I let um, Jenny take it from here, um, I wanted to point out this worksheet on the back. If you could spend 15 to 20 minutes sometime in the next week, I think that this will be a really powerful thing to help you consider fresh ways to serve. I developed this after working on the Yes Effect book, um, and so I just repurposed it for our day today. Um, but these, are, these will help you think about the things you're already doing and the things you already have access to, and then make some connections between those things that might help you think of a fresh way to serve your local community and meet needs that are pressing in. And so I put the instructions below. The one instruction I forgot to put was to just spend some time, uh, a moment praying and dedicating yourself to God before doing this so that you'll really be um, tuned in with the Holy Spirit. Um, but one example of, that, of a connection you might make is um, at the bottom here, you might take your couponing skills, if you're a really good coupon saver, um, and your compassion for the working poor, and maybe a connection with a local food pantry. And then you could bring all those things together from the different squares, drawing lines between, and then maybe offer a workshop on budgeting for the clients of that food pantry. So that's just an idea to get you going. But I think this could be really powerful if you do this in a prayerful way um, to help you consider ways to use the things that are already true of you and your circumstances. So. Thank you.